Blog Talk Radio. to the Bottom Line Show Live, and today we have with us the award-winning TV and film producer-director Paul Lazarus. He is a director, producer, and writer of television, film, and theater projects. He recently completed work on a feature-length documentary called Slingshot that has been successfully premiered in over 40 different film festivals, winning many acclaimed awards. Now, Slingshot is about a noted Segway inventor named Dean Kamen and his work to solve the world's huge, safe water crisis that we're currently facing. Paul has directed and produced this feature film, and we are here to hear more about him today. Paul, are you on the air? I am. Thank you. Paul, thank you for joining us today. How have you been? I've been well, thank you. Well, well. Well, we're so excited to have you back on the show again. Uh, When we first had you on, you had just completed the film Slingshot, and you had just started um, premiering it. Uh, Bring us up to speed. We know that a lot has happened in the last year. Well, the the good news is that the film now is available uh, through the Netflix system in 15 languages, so we are getting response from all over the world. Um, where millions and millions of people are now have access to see it, and I have been, uh, you know, very uh, honored and, and humbled, really, to be invited to all sorts of countries to show the film, because its uh, its subject is so far-reaching. But I've been to Russia twice, and I've been to Israel, and I've been to uh, Cyprus, and the film had its uh, international premiere in the Netherlands, in um, in Amsterdam at the IDFA Festival, which is the International Documentary Festival of Amsterdam. And uh, I think at this point uh, it has won something like 17 awards, and uh, we're very proud of it. It took a long time to make, as you know. It took almost eight years, and uh, Mm -hmm. it addresses one of the world's truly great problems, which is safe, clean water for everyone. And as you see in the news, almost on a daily basis, it's becoming more and more of an issue. And uh, for me, it's already a big issue, but I think the world is catching up. Yeah, it, it is. Water has definitely become something that is a top-of-the-mind awareness issue because it just doesn't affect us here in California. This is something that is really on a much larger global scale. Yeah, but in um, Northern California, it's pretty much affecting us right now. I mean, if you ask the farmers in the agricultural belt, in uh, California, they're they're pretty affected by water issues, and um, <clears throat> they're already hard at work on a desalinization plant in Carlsbad, California, because they're very aware that uh, supposedly that plant is going to be online in 2017, but I, I would be surprised if they complete it by then. But uh, water is going to be such a pressing concern um, everywhere. And we, you know, we see these little pockets like Flint, Michigan, where, uh, it makes national news that the water is contaminated in Flint, but it's really happening, uh, certainly, uh, all over America and, and much worse in other parts of the world where they don't take, uh, clean water for granted. You know, when you go to Western Africa, I, I visited Ghana twice with the Slingshot Project and, uh, when you see ta- whole towns and whole communities that have no running water and then what it means to get running water, and by running water I mean clean water, uh, it's really astonishing. Yeah, it it, it is. Uh, you know, I think uh, one of the things that I love about the Slingshot film is that it does bring awareness, not just, you know, to people that are geographically targeted in any one particular part of the world. It really makes it very clear to us how... You know, wherever you live, whether you're in California, you're in Colombia, you're in the Far East, the Middle East, this is something that affects everyone. 
and th the fact that the majority of of critical illnesses that not only impede life but take life takes life as well is as a direct result of you know poor water yeah i mean you know one of the things that dean Kamen makes very clear in the movie um and we in fact we chose it to start the it's the actual very start of the film is that you know one of the facts that i don't i don't think people really realize but he states that uh, we put it actually it's, as the first line you hear in the movie and the second line you hear in the movie because we think it's that important, uh, the last line you hear in the movie. And it's that 50% of all human illness. You know, you can take what we in the West think kill people, like heart disease and, you know, uh, Alzheimer's and cancer. You can take all of those traditionally well-known illnesses, diseases, add them up, and they only account for 50% of human illness. All of the rest, the entire other 50%, can be related to waterborne pathogens in contaminated water. And it's just, it's hard to even fathom in the West how serious that is. You know, you, so basically, yeah. if you deliver clean water to people, you can address 50% of the illness on the planet. <laughs> It's just it's such a large idea that it's it's hard to get your head around. Yeah, it, yeah, and and I know that um, you know in California, of course, we tend to be our culture in California is more and more environmentally uh, conscious and aware, and you know we have organizations like the LA Waterkeepers that are doing incredible work off our California coastline because we've got some seriously you know serious things that are going on there. But this whole water crisis, uh, you know, we have, you know, every one of us can do our part. And I, and I remember very distinctly after the first time I saw the premiere of your film, I, I believe you premiered it in Venice Beach. And uh, one of the first things that I walked away from that was I started paying attention and becoming more aware of water waste just in my neighborhood. You know, it's like, you know, people would water their lawns and you would see the excess water running off into the street. And I'm yeah. like, oh, my goodness, you know, that's a waste of water that doesn't, especially with what, what we're experiencing here, you know, just in California, let alone elsewhere, we can all do our part and be more aware and pay more attention to something as simple as watering our lawn, not running the bath water, you know, longer than what's necessary. When, you know, just all those things start to, one person does make a big difference. Yeah, no, I mean, it, you know, it's, it, it, what is that line, be the change you want the world mm -hmm. to be? Um, mm -hmm. it, it really starts with a consciousness and an awareness, and that, that's why I, I guess I'm, I'm very proud of the movie and I want people to see it, because I do believe that once you see the movie, you can't really look at water the same way. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that's really, that was a really important aspect of why we made it, um, because I, I went, you know, personally went through a, a growth and awareness about water issues in the course of making the movie. I wasn't anywhere near as sensitive. And you're absolutely right. I mean, there's so many things that you can do as individuals. And, and, and you know, from literally from just every way that you use water, I, I, <laughs> I guess from making this film, I, I've become a person now that when there's a big pot of boiling water on the stove, like if I make mm -hmm. pasta or corn, I literally can't fathom pouring that water down the sink. So I, I now let the pot cool off and I go out and dump it on my plants because exactly. it, it, and it, sounds, it almost sounds silly, but it, it, if everybody did their tiny little bit, you know, like when you have 200 million people taking that into account, it's a lot, a lot of water. And, you know, I've read this book... I tend to read books about water these days. There's a book about called Let There Be Water, and it's the history of water consciousness in Israel. And, you know, Israel's a desert country, and they, had to, they were forced to deal with water issues because they didn't have any water. And unlike America, and, you know, where we border in Pacific and Atlantic Oceans, and we have all sorts of major water sources like the Great Lakes, but you know, Israel was really, really... A dry country, and and when you read the history of how that small population has adjusted to their water usage, it's it's a it's a lesson in what the world is going to have to do. 
uh, the world is going to have to be conscious that this is the stuff of life, that unlike oil, it's not replaceable by anything. Water is water, <clears throat> and it is, you know, just the words the stuff of life have become really meaningful to me. It almost sounds like a cliche, but <clears throat> the thing about water is it's not oil. You know, oil, which creates very important energy, is replaceable by all sorts of things, but water can only be water. And uh, if it's dirty, it can hurt you. If it's clean, it can give you life. So it becomes it becomes really incumbent on all of us to, to, to really wake up to the fact that it is not endless. It is not... They, 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 there's facts... There's facts that scare me, like the fact that America's leakage of water is more water than most countries have. The amount of water that we leak in our infrastructure that's getting very, very old is more water than a lot of countries have. <laughs> so, you know, think about that. Wow. We're dripping and wasting more water than other countries have. An you know, and there's thing, when you hear things like that, it just scares you. Well, that's very sobering, and I think you're pointing out uh, the things, it's in the little things that the big things can happen, and, you know, like you're saying, it's like, okay, you can't fathom, and after having seen your documentary, I will I will say that, you know what, I, I totally do the same thing, too. I wait till the water cools off, I throw it on my plants. If I rinse out because I like to juice in the morning, you know, after I'm done with my juice, instead of just throwing that into the dishwasher, I take whatever, a little bit of water that's left on there, and I pour it into my plants because those are plants, you know, fruits and vegetables that I've juiced, you know, for myself. And so now that residue, instead of it being debris in my dishwasher, it's going back into the, my lemon tree in, the, in my backyard. Yeah, which is and great. And so that's, if we all did yeah. that, it would, it would be significant. And, and you know, and then, and then you get into much bigger, you know, their water conservation and, and the awareness of, is one area, and then there's much, much larger um, issues like the amount of water we use for agriculture, the amount of water that we use for industry. Um, those are even, and then, you know, when you find out things like it takes a whole gallon of water to make one almond, and when you find out the water requirement to make a pound of beef, um, these are very sobering things that we all need to learn and understand um, going forward because we have this resource that isn't endless. I, I think we're first going to have to realize that it's not endless. I, I, well, America, you know, because we live here, tends to only realize these things in crisis. You know, you all, we only realize how precious gas might be when we're starting to pay $4 or more a gallon. Then it becomes, you know, a national thing about gas you know till then it's just endless well wait till we start having to pay for water um what it really costs you know because right now we're paying pennies for gallons yeah. and gallons of water so well, we're, we're getting away with we're getting away with what the rest of the world might consider to be an atrocity you know because w w what we pay for using for using clean like we have clean water in our toilets we use yeah. clean water yeah. on our golf clubs, yeah. on our golf courses. You know, yeah. this is this is stuff that people die from not having. We are watering our golf courses with. Well, we're mm -hmm. unfortunately, you know, it's hard not to be political about this, but there's going to come a point where that's not neither acceptable or even doable. It, it just won't be possible. And well, that day is coming yeah. fast upon us. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's not far away. You know, people talk about these things like they're far away. It's not far away. No. Pretty soon, Las Vegas is going to have to be figuring out what to do about the fact that the water isn't powering the Hoover Dam. Oh, absolutely. You know, and those those uh, things will make it very clear that, oh, <laughs> we don't have any power anymore because the water's gotten so low, it's not it's no longer powering the Hoover Dam. We better do something about that. Yeah, but we have to do we have to start taking preventive action now. And right. and the reality is there's you know we think about water and we think of it as 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 something external, it's you know an environmental thing, it's out there. 
we take it for granted that we you know that we're drinking water either out of water bottles or filtered water or out of our faucets and so forth. But make no mistakes, um, our body is composed of over 80% water. And when we are negligent or ignorant, we don't know any better, and we are not taking care of the environment, and we're throwing any kind of trash or rubbish, uh, you know, in the in the um, waterways that now ends up in our ocean, you know, that's our environment. That is directly, you know, affecting each and every one of us. And sometimes, you know, there are things that are, you know, born, there's illnesses that are coming as a direct result of those things, but because it's not in the awareness of the average person, those, you know, terrible things happen and can directly, you know, can directly affect us in our own ignorance. Yeah. And that's part of what I think this film is calling attention to. That was our hope. And, you know, and, and then, uh, you know, we, we tried to suggest, you know, it's not just about shouting how dire the problem is. We, tr- we tried to suggest ways to, um, to uh, alleviate the situation. And, you know, one of the great things about Slingshot is, is it focuses on one solution, one technology that's really good for remote villages that have very little. Uh, the, the nice thing about what's going on is there are great many innovations um, all the way from the large large solutions like desalinization where you know, you're converting seawater into potable water. Those are obviously very, very large-scale solutions that affect big, dense urban populations like Los Angeles. You know, you have... That's why they're scrambling to uh, make this, create this plant in Carlsbad, uh, California, mm-hmm. because they realize just how serious the problem is. So you've got those very big solutions all the way down to something like the life straw, which is you know somebody sipping water out of a river to stay alive, and knowing that the river is probably polluted, they're sipping it through a life straw, which takes out the major pollutants and keeps the person safe because uh, <clears throat> sadly most of our natural rivers and places where you could get clean water are, are no longer clean because um, of all of the other stuff that we've done to the environment so it you know luckily there's a great many people starting to pay a large amount of attention to this issue and i was trying to suggest in the movie that here's you know dean Kamen, who's you know pretty much a world figure and a noted genius inventor because of all of his many inventions he's he turned his attention to water and this is what he came up with mainly because he felt he should address the needs of those people who had really very very little that's what where slingshot came from but there are a great many people who are starting to uh, really pay attention to water and innovate and cause create disruptive solutions and and you even have corporate entities who are really starting to pay attention. So you've you've got Coca-Cola, which was one of the subjects of my movie, announcing that they have virtually created a system where they're not taking any water out of the the system to create their products. So basically, wow. something you know, some somebody as you know intensely interested in the dollar as Coca-Cola is announcing that they've gone water neutral. They're basically Every drop, every drop that they take out or use for their products or use to make their products, they're putting somehow back in. And I love hearing that because I, I want to support companies that do that, and I, you know, not just Coca-Cola, which you know doesn't necessarily make products that I want. But it, I'm hoping every company starts to realize that they should advertise that they're not taking any water out of the ground. Wow! To make whatever so that, they're making. That's, well, that's that's a, I see. That's a, a huge corporate responsibility that Coca-Cola is taking it upon themselves to take that measure. And as yeah. as more and more people become aware of that, then the smaller, the you know, medium and smaller sized businesses that do have, um, you know, use of water in their businesses start to say, hey, if if you know the 800 pound gorilla like Coca-Cola, if they can figure a way to do this you know, with their product, you know, the Coca-Cola products, 
then there's got to be a way for us to be able to do something, you know, to make a difference and to be also, you know, not only environmentally um, conscious but also responsible, you know, responsible to society and so forth. So bringing light to that, again, is, I think, um, you know, not just half the battle, but it's, it's, that's like one of the, almost one of the key things because without that awareness, it goes unnoticed and then there's no change. Right, and, and I'm, I'm really hoping that someday um, we'll all be looking at how we shop, how we, we live our lives based on who do we want to support. Like if this company is going on record for being environmentally um, helpful to the planet, maybe we should support them over a company that isn't. And we actually, uh, you know, obviously we have to have information. We have to be able to disseminate that information. But I'm really hoping that someday people are not only judging what they support by the cost of the item, that that they're actually looking at it dimensionally, like uh, what's, what, what do I want for my children? And um, this company seems to be having a really positive effect on the environment, so I'll support them over this this company that has a negative effect on and I'm really hoping that that could uh, be the case someday wow so so tell me about um i mean you have uh, quite a, a history in you know just uh, a chain link of all these successes on a b c family with you know t v shows like Pretty Little Liars and um, the Better Off Ted, Samantha Who, Ugly Betty, you know, Melrose Place, Friends, Everybody Loves Raymond. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And uh, what, I, what, what I'd love for you to share with us is in having made this documentary, Slingshot, that, again, has over 17 awards right now, and, and I'm sure this is going to continue on, you know, what has been the most surprising thing uh, in terms of that particular success? What is it that you notice different uh, things that you could not have expected that has come from this passion project that you have. Uh, that's an interesting question. You know, the 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 good thing about doing a lot of work in in primetime television and some of those famous shows that you answer, you listed. Um, you know, you learn a great deal about craft and you learn about um, all sorts of things. You know, whether as a director, even learning how to use certain tools and getting to experience what it's like to, you know, it's not every day you get a 50-foot techno crane on a documentary uh, because the documentary can't afford that. But but then, then there's a show like Samantha Who where you can have a 50-foot techno crane because you're sinking a car into a lake for comedy. And so I, all of those, you know, almost over 20 years of experiences shooting in, in uh, practically every uh, different kind of TV program, I really got to uh, learn my craft and learn all sorts of tools and, and technologies and, you know, uh, sharpen your skills as a director. The the amazing thing about the documentary, and I don't think I totally expected this, but, I, you know, I, I was certainly aware of it intellectually, but I didn't experience it as profoundly as I did when I started shooting the documentary, is that what I discovered was no matter how much I planned no matter how much I gave myself a deep set of background, you know, background and inform myself and, and um, establish the questions I wanted to get answered and what I wanted to see, what always knocked me out about the documentary is it was always better in the surprises that I didn't expect, the, the, the mm-hmm. moments that were human, the moments that were um, <clears throat> that really, <laughs> the moments that were really transcendent were always the things I never planned for uh, that just happened in the course of making the documentary. And, and there's some pretty interesting examples of that, um, it, it, you know, all over the documentary. A, 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 a fun and maybe lighter example was you're working with this genius inventor and, and he has all sorts of profound things to say about everything. So you think very hard about what questions you're going to ask him and, you plan and you plan and you go to do the interview in his office and there happens to be this gigantic teddy bear like life-size <laughs> teddy bear sitting in the corner and i i remember turning to my six foot four inch cameraman's um sam enriquez and saying sam are you rolling get this and and uh we always told the sound man to never turn off because 
everything could be good. And so I said, yeah. Dean, what, you know, what's, I remember you told me a story about that teddy bear in your, the corner of your office. What, what is that a teddy bear again? And that little piece where Dean came and explains why this teddy bear is sitting, and I mean it's big, it's over six foot tall teddy bear. When wow. Dean came and turns to this teddy bear and talks about what it means to him, and he talks about it as a silent partner, and he made a denim tie for it because he wanted it to fit in because Dean came and only wears <laughs> denim. And, and I'm he sure. talks about his silent partner and how he, he always supports him and he's always there. And that was this, this human moment about this inventor that was actually, in many respects, more important than any of the questions I asked in the real interview. Sure, the real interview wow. was you know, uh, profound and had all sorts of information, but that moment, that little moment of this inventor talking about this teddy bear in his office was in many respects surprising and profound and human and was all and was about many things um and dimensional and uh was truly filmic and was truly where the documentary comes alive and so what you discover is that it's it's not about what you plan it's about what happens and and you and you obviously have to capture it on camera because otherwise it it isn't in the movie but it's kind of what you bump into, and and the many many things happened over the course of the eight years that were shocking and upsetting, and and uh, um, you know sometimes entertaining, sometimes surprising. But you know one of the saddest, darkest things that happened was Dean Kamen's elder brother passed away during the making of the movie. It was totally unexpected, wow. uh, and we had always planned in the movie to deal with Dean Kamen's father's death because that had already happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were going to talk to Dean about it and, and experience what losing a parent is like. But, but we, we totally had no uh, expectation that Bart, who's Dean's you know, wow. brother, would pass away and did. And so suddenly the movie took this turn and it was funny because people would always ask me, why do you have this section about Bart Kamen in the movie? It's, it's got nothing to do with Slingshot. And, <laughs> and I would say, well, the movie's only somewhat about Slingshot. It's also about mortality and time and how we use our time and innovation. And there's nothing more profound about time and mortality than losing a sibling. Um, nothing makes you more aware of how finite life is. And, you know, so... So I, I guess the sum total of what I'm saying is that the documentary world is filled with surprise and things you don't expect. And, and that was very different from my many years of dealing with narrative scripts where it's all on the page and you're just trying to make it as good as you can. Um, so it's a very, very different world. And, and I actually kind of loved it. I kind of loved when, it, when there was a surprise. It was always kind of exciting. So it sounds what I'm hearing is that as two things that really stand out at me is first of all you pay attention to the details and you were prepared you observe, you observe something out of the ordinary that could have been insignificant that because you paid attention i.e. the teddy bear became significant and secondly you were prepared you had enough insight and knowingness to say we got to keep the film rolling all the time because you don't know when you're going to have something that's going to be you know exposed or divulged or shared with and if you're if if we're not rolling the moment is lost and you can't unring that bell once it's gone it's gone yeah it's really gone and yeah i think that had a lot to do and i think one of the aspects of the movie that that um it's really the only way the movie could have happened is I had many, many years of working with the inventor on other projects. And, <clears throat> you know, it's it's one thing to show up and meet someone and shoot with them for a little while and then make a movie. But I had, you know, a, a very lengthy period of time where I worked with this man on many, many different projects. And, in fact, most of those earlier uh, short films ended up in some small way in the in the feature. Um, whether it was him riding around on a prototype Segway in 2000, in 1999, or or talking with his parents, um, which I did 
completely because I literally had the thought, I, I remember the thought, if you knew Thomas Edison and you worked with Thomas Edison mm-hmm. and you had an occasion or opportunity to, to film his parents, wouldn't you do that? <laughs> and I, and I, I literally said to myself, I know Jack and Evelyn Kamen, and I have access to them. I should take a weekend and simply go to Florida with a crew and film them just because of who they are and what they made, how their place in history. Um, and so in 2006 or four, no, 2004, I did that. I spent a long weekend in Florida shooting Dean Cam's parents. I had no idea, not even a clue, that um, it might end up in a feature documentary. But it did. Wow. So you know, so I think, you know, you sometimes things are meant to be. Sometimes the length of connection and the history between people turn into something else. Yeah, and, and it sounds like you're you're open. You're you're not you know you're not where things have to happen in, in necessarily a, a specific box, but because you're open, those it allows for for those things to come into your experience and for them to unfold that might not otherwise if you weren't open. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I well, I hope so. <laughs> you you hope you are. I mean, I you certainly. You certainly learn to go with the flow uh, of what's happening around you when you shoot a documentary, and then you also hope that one of the three cameras that you're training on the subject will get a shot that's useful. <laughs> you, know, mm-hmm. you know, the thing about Dean Kamen is, is if you're flying, or if he, I should say, if he's flying somewhere, you really can't ask him to like get out of the, like, could you reland the plane and then take off again? You better get it. <laughs> Because yeah. it's just not going to happen again, and yeah. the truth of the truth about Dean Kamen is that very little was ever able to be repeated. You know, it's just like if mm-hmm. you didn't get it, you lost it. Yeah, yeah. He's not a you know he's got he's got many many things he wants to get done. He's not really caring about shooting a film. Yeah. No. Well, and one of the things that came across loud and clear in the film, I'll never forget. Because um, it talks about how you know his passion is obviously inventing these things, and um, and so every minute of the day, you know anything that he can systemize, that he can eliminate, time, you know the time invested to do quote unquote mundane things, as as in getting dressed, you know yep. he will put a system in place so that takes the least amount of time possible so that he can spend all of his time, you know, with his fellow engineers creating and inventing and working on his passion projects. And I remember when they show in the in the film a, a picture of his closet where it, it he you know, you disclose that yeah, he basically has all denim, all jeans, all the same shirts. I don't know if there were thirty, forty or fifty denim shirts and jeans. Uh so he wears he doesn't have to think ever what he's going to wear, because he basically has that as a uniform, done. Yeah, I've never met no anyone. mental who, energy. Yeah, he eliminates almost, I mean, so, some of us would consider, so, I mean, sometimes, uh, you're absolutely right, and, and he's eliminated, uh, you know, what I would, what I think we would consider mundane, like he doesn't go food shopping, he doesn't go, uh, he doesn't pick clothing out. He, uh, it's a compl- for him a complete waste of time and his energy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people consider food shopping pleasurable, um, <laughs> but he is, he he's pared down all of the that that those life things so that he can really keep working. And be, and I think it's because yeah. he feels a tremendous responsibility to. Um, I, I, know, I know this about him. He feels a tremendous responsibility to improve lives. He wants in every way to invent things that improve people's lives, whether it's a wheelchair that can elevate you to eye level or get you upstairs, or whether it's a bionic arm for people who've lost their limbs in battle, or you know, whether it's clean water to where people don't have it. Or um, you know, I really believe that you know, strangely enough, the segue on some levels backfired on him, but it was for him a solution to short-term 
pollution because you know what what dean will tell you is that most of the pollution of the world takes place when cars are idling in traffic or sitting at a uh burger place in the line idling that's that's the least efficient use of an engine and the most pollution so, so what he was trying to do with the segway was really eliminate congested you know pollution where it happens most trips that are less than 5 miles you know it wasn't wow. it wasn't to replace exercise or or do anything of you know i i used to look at the criticism of it and i thought boy they really don't know who dean kamen is when they say dean kamen would never invent something to replace exercise you know that's yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not, not what he yeah. thinks about but he does think about the fact that a car a 4000 pound vehicle only traveling a few miles in Manhattan may be spewing so much pollution that it would be good to replace it. I mean, he literally says in the movie, why would you use a 4,000-pound vehicle to move your 150-pound ass around town? Think about yeah. it. You know, it, it's just completely inefficient. It's funny because one of, when I made a three-minute version of the movie to try to raise funding or get a, um, enter a competition – he, he is seen driving a Hummer, you know, and, and the, the Hummer that Dean Kamen drives is a real one. It's not like a toy version that they sell to people. He, he drives like the military vehicle. And, you know, people, wow, he's so, he's so in favor of the environment. Why would he drive a Hummer? You know, that's such an anti-environmental car or machine. And Dean Kamen would argue exactly the opposite. He would say, no, I routinely transport 500-pound machines from my home to my office. I routinely um, need the kind of energy that, that most people you know, use a huge truck for. So I drive a Hummer because when I put a Sterling engine that I'm working on in the back of my truck, it can carry it. <laughs> and it, besides, yeah. it runs on diesel. It rides on diesel. Yeah. So, you know, it's, he does not do anything unconsciously, which is what I'm saying. You know, it's, it's not, uh, you know, this is a person who wears jeans because he does, just like you said, he doesn't want to take the time to dress. There's no mental energy. There's no, there's no decision to be made. It's like he is taking, it, that's the one thing that came loud and clear across the film because he is really passionate about, um, you know, getting this water crisis, you know, taking up, taking it up to the next level. So if he can spend 30 seconds less in pulling a shirt off of a, a hanger and putting it on, and he can figure out a way to spend less time doing that, that's more time, more hours in the day that he only wants to spend time on those passion projects. End of story. He, he, it, it was very clear he's not about ego. He's about creating solutions to these needs and problems that he sees, and he 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 knows that him and his team can do it. And so that's where his energy, his mind and energy is just focused on that. And it was yeah. really, actually really refreshing because it's like that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's very, it's very different than most. You know, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know <laughs> You know, he, look, he's he's not a typical human being by any stretch. Uh, no. You know, and uh, uh, it's dangerous for anybody to compare themselves to him because, you know, this is also a very, very wealthy man, let's face it. Uh, but he's become wealthy because of inventing things like a new way to do kidney dialysis, you know, which is – so he's brought a whole new uh, way to handle kidney disease to the world – and uh, you know, made made a very good money off that. Uh, you know, he's not apologetic about his wealth. He he tries he does try to take his wealth and put it to good use. Um, but you know, this is a man with, as he has said, uh, has a lot of toys because I take a lot out and I give a lot back. And uh, he's uh, refreshingly unapologetic about that. That is refreshing. Um, what would you say is the number one feedback that you hear as as people view this film and experience it? Uh, what is what are some of the comments and some of the ahas that you hear them? Well, well, you know, one, the the, the ones that are, that really please me, um, you know, there there's two there, there's two answers to that question. There's ones that really please me, and then there's a whole 
other side that that I feel you know disappointed in. So I'll talk about the positive first. The positives are every parent that I've ever had come to see the film walks up to me and says, "Oh, I really wish my teenager had seen this or my child had seen this." That's a really good thing to hear because I mean the the the, the essential message is they'll be inspired by it and to do you know hopefully good things. Uh, the same thing goes the other way. Every young person who's seen it always says, "I wish my parent had seen it." So that's a wow. that's terrific, and and that's a that's a very very high praise to me. And um, um, and what I think they're responding to is there is a underlying thread to the film about the notion of innovation, the the idea that what's what's valuable to do with your life, what's not necessarily valuable to do with your life, you know, that Dean Kamen embodies, as we've been talking about, and that's communicated, I believe, in the movie. Uh, the other aspect that I really am pleased to hear is you just said it. You just said that after you saw the movie, you looked at water in a different way, and, and, and that was really one of our goals. We literally have it on a card that after seeing this movie, we want people to look at water in a different way. <laughs> and the fact that you say it so, um, it, that, that, that our movie affected you in that way is very pleasing to me. The negative side of all the movie for me is that technologically, tech, technological advance in the world moves much slower than I ever dreamed and uh, hoped for. And one of the, my great sadness about having you know, spent so much time and energy and thought into this and giving it to this movie. I mean, it really, really became my life for almost eight years. Um, is that the world isn't getting the slingshot technology anywhere near as fast as I would have hoped, and and that's very distressing and disturbing. It's it's like there are people who really need this technology. You know, whether it's Haiti or or whether it's uh, the Philippines recovering from their earthquake, or earthquake. Wh- whether you know the tsunami hitting uh, the Fukushima plant, there's pockets around the world that that could really benefit from this technology. You know, even in crisis, right, right after the the crisis hits, and it just the machine doesn't exist in enough quantity. There's not enough willpower, resource to bring the machine to where it's you know even even. You could even argue that even in Flint, Michigan, it could have helped because at least it would have turned the water into potable, safe water for the people who were drinking out of their faucets. Let's say that water was being processed by a slingshot instead. But in order to do that, you have to have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of machines available and distributable, and you need the resources to get them to people, and you need the resources to hook them up to the water supply. Mm-hmm. and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that has not occurred since the finish of wow. this film in 2014. It's now pushing towards the end of 2016. So that that saddens me, to be honest. So, And what's the number one thing that's keeping those, you know, because the device is already created. So what's yeah, keeping those um, devices from actually being uh, put I think into it's, those it's, different... It's the will of people to make change it's the, it's the way technology rolls out in general even when people come up with fantastic solutions i mean you can you can look at pretty much every technological advance whether it's even just take computer for example yeah the switching from the notion of mainframe computers where they're centralized and only exist in big companies to the notion of everybody having a laptop on their desk which we enjoy now Mm-hmm. is it was a really a 30-year process. We think of it as instant, but it really yeah. isn't. And and when you look at it, when you stare at your iPhone, you know, or your Samsung or whatever, um, it, the history of how that got in your hand, A, it's not apparent, and B, um, I don't know if people really think back to like, Think back to the day when you had that big brick cell phone in your hand and you were making your first cell phone <laughs> call. You know, oh like I kind of remember that, but that's all the way to the mm. 80s. So, yeah. mm. so 80s to now is 36 years, or close. Wow. You know, let's call it 35 years. Well, it doesn't happen 
as quickly as we want it to. It, it happens slowly, and I think sadly, it's the same thing with water. It's it, it's it's we're starting to be aware that it's a problem. We're starting to be aware that people are dying because of unclean water. We're we're, we're getting that kids, you know, we're even starting to understand sanitation and how it relates to water. And we're starting to get it, but I don't know. It doesn't move quick. <laughs> I guess what I'm yeah, saying is what makes me sad is it just doesn't move quick enough. You know, it's so true what you're saying. It's funny because the public's perception is always that things happen overnight, and they don't see all the blood, sweat, and tears that has preceded that. Uh, you know, this is a point in case here. I know that the inventor of the uh, ATM machine, you know, people say, oh, that happened overnight. No. Oh, yeah, overnight was 17 years from the time that an ATM machine was actually invented and ready for banks to use and, and for it to be widespread across the country where now you have them in every bank. That was a 17-year process right. for that to now be. And, uh, you know, it would be my hope that that would not be the case with this device. I don't know. What is the – do we have an idea? Because I don't remember in the film it talking about what the cost of the unit uh, is well, c- cost of anything is is totally relatable to how many you're making. It, it's like there's no sure. such thing Fine. as a cost without understanding how many. So, so, mm-hmm. so the first of all, the question is multifaceted because if you're hand making them one at a time, well, they cost a yeah. million dollars. Yeah, if you're starting yeah. to man, if you're starting to mass manufacture them. You might instantaneously get it down. Well, let, let, let's let's do the middle step. Before you mass manufacture them, you make a quantity of them. So when they made a quantity of them, which was around 17 of them, they got it down to let's say between 100 and 130 thousand. That's a huge leap from a million to 130. Then oh, yeah. the next step was to make 50 of them and to have them cost about 30 thousand dollars a piece. That's another huge leap. Mm-hmm. But you're only going to get to scalable cost. Where they cost, mm-hmm. where they what you want them to cost, which is between three and four, three and five thousand dollars, let's say, the cost of mm-hmm. a, a nice refrigerator. You know, mm-hmm. for the cost of a nice refrigerator, you're taking care of the the water needs of a hundred people. That's a pretty good deal. Wow. So, you know, I mean, I, I'll, I'll I'll settle for that as a as a as a goal. So, three to five thousand. In order to get to that price, you now have to be making tens of thousands of units, and that's what they're not at yet. That that's what they that's where it has stalled, I think. It, it, it's it's the leap from making fifty to making thousands, and in order to make thousands, you, you have to do what is commonly called tool up, which means you know you're making each part out of plastic instead of hand carving it out of metal, and you're extruding plastic and through a through a fancy process. You know, all the things that I actually talked about in the movie. Um, I kind of tr- I tried to illustrate how things go from being expensive to cheap, and mm-hmm. and by cheap I you know, I don't mean you know pennies, but I mean inexpensive. But mm-hmm. but when you're going from a thirty thousand dollar device to a five thousand dollar device, that's a pretty good leap. Seven times. Oh my gosh! But yeah. it but it requires that you have invested millions in what they call tooling up, that you're, you've solved all the technological problems of making it mass manufacturable, and you're ready to distribute it because you can't make tens of thousands until you are, you know, have the end point. And that's, that's the part that's not happening. And, 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 and that makes me <laughs> sad and crazy because, you know, I made this movie to help get this machine to that place. That was one of the goals. Yeah, I mean, and, and you, you, you have to start with the intention. You have to do the intention. I mean, you have to do it no matter what. But it is not happening at the speed that, that I w- would uh, like it to. And, uh, you know, so, you just pray that it's go- it's, you pray that the world is going to come around to, you know, what's in, you know, here's another example. Of an not necessarily as big a problem is certainly not as big a problem. But you know, Dean came and invented a wheelchair. It's called the iBot. Mm-hmm. That iBot is so extraordinary. When comparing it to a normal wheelchair is like comparing a golf cart to a Porsche. You know, I mean, it's just <laughs> you know, it, 
know, I mean, you, you're talking about his iBot. Number one, it can go upstairs. Number two, it can go over bumps. Number three, it can travel on any terrain. Number four, it raises the disabled person to eye level, which people say is the most important thing that it does. I mean, it's it's the it's it's the Porsche of wheelchairs, right? Yeah. Well, but it was costly, and when it first came out, it was very costly, and so it wasn't getting government funding. It wasn't, uh, you know, government funding goes to a $400 electric cart, does not pay for what I think was close to $25,000 worth of wheelchair. So nobody could get it, and it fell off the market. It went off the market. uh, Something as brilliant as the device was, and I saw it, and I've ridden it, and I know what it does. As brilliant as it was, it was not cost-effective, and it disappeared. Well, now, and it's... Dang, it's years later. It's now appearing that Toyota is going to revive it, but at a much, much more skinned-down, cheaper level. Like they've figured out a way to, you know, I get, and also, you know, technologically advanced, techno, technological yeah. things advance, so you can do different things than when, when it was first invented. But the cost down. You can get the cost down. But I hear it's coming back. Now, A, that's yeah. terrific news. That's terrific news for anybody who really needs it, um, mm-hmm. obviously. But it's terrific that it didn't die. And um, it shows, I guess it, it, it gives me hope that good ideas can't be killed off, even when they're expensive. Yeah, they may be put on the shelf uh, for the right time and season for it to come to pass. The reality is with what we have going on in terms of the world's water crisis, and it is a water crisis, is that we do... We do need to give this a voice, and I think in sharing this information and putting this on people's radars, uh, this you know this what I hear is that it, this needs to be paired up with some movers and shakers, maybe foundations, perhaps schools that can partner partner up and say, you know what, we, you know we know that the cost right now of the units are cost prohibitive, but if we actually put a, a strategic plan in place and roll this out, you know nationwide, we could start. Here at home, or we can start in whatever second or third world countries, or or the goal is to get a million units out. With that in mind, this, these are the type of dollars, and we can project X amount of you know per unit cost. Now we can start to connect the dots, you know, if you will. Mm-hmm. And now you have, yeah. you know, every Fortune 1000 company has um, you know the charitable giving arm of their of their business, you know, uh, and then there's thousands of other nonprofits. That can you know that are much smaller. They can also participate, but you just need that one mastermind that is going to bring it together. And so I think and as also, you put it out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and also one of the things that I definitely noticed in in my travels in making the movie, and and I was just a little bit disheartened by it, is that and maybe this is always the case when something's new on the horizon. You know, the the world's water crisis, which there's no question that we are already in the midst of it. There's no question. Like, I mean, I, anybody who thinks that this is in the future, not now, no. is just wrong. They're dead wrong. And, yeah. it, it, and, 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 you know, I'm not saying that anecdotally. I'm saying that based on lots and lots of facts, but, okay. which I'm not going to go into now. But uh, the thing that I started to say that disheartened me was all of these water groups, and there, there, there are many now, seem to be in their own silo. Like They're not working together yet. And I think that's because we haven't hit it that moment in time yet where, where water is so form, first and foremost a problem that something like water.org can't afford not to know about the slingshot. Right now, we're, we're in a place where, you know, water.org is one of the biggest water groups, you know, uh, charitable foundations trying to solve the water crisis in the world. It's Matt Damon is the face of it. A guy named um, George White is the head of it. Now, the irony is that there was a program on Charlie Rose, the TV show, where the first hour was devoted to Dean Kamen and Slingshot, and the second half hour was devoted to Water.org with Matt Damon, partner. And they didn't meet each other because they were shot at different times. And I thought to myself, what a, wow. what a crime and shame 
that those two... Lost opportunity. What a lost opportunity that Matt Damon didn't meet Dean Kamen. Because they should be working together, not separately. Uh, to leverage, yeah. Yeah, and to, to leverage all these things that need leveraging. I think that day is coming. I, I think that we're starting to become aware of how serious water really is. And, it, it, you know, the Bill Gates Foundation and Dean Kamen and, and Matt Damon, all these people have some considerable power when it comes to water. I believe they're they're going to they're going to have to get together and the world's going to require them to get together and then change really will start to occur I believe. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I again hope. as they start I think it starts to um coalesce and like gel. And as that happens and people you know it gets on their radar and they're like, "You know what? I want to be a part of that. I want to help. I want to invest time, I want to invest money, I want to invest both." Well, you know, and and then that's how it starts to grow, and it starts to actually get out where, before you know it, you actually have these units in Cambodia and you know, the Philippines. Yeah, and, and, and it there was needed. There was a beautiful idea floated at one point during the course of making the movies. Probably somewhere in 2013, I heard this. Actually, three years ago, and the idea that I heard, I think it was, I think it was in the Coke. It was in the Coca-Cola company superstructure. The idea I heard was, wouldn't it be amazing if there were 50 slingshot machines in a warehouse? And every time a major catastrophe hit the world, like Fukushima or the Philippines or Haiti's earthquake, um, that these machines were loaded up onto a super cargo jet and deployed to these places that were having, you know, serious water crisis. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, my God, that is such, that is such a gloriously beautiful idea. Um, and, what a, and it would be so meaningful to the people that it, oh, you know, yeah. as it was occurring. You know, suddenly you'd go from a city destroyed, as, as in Port-au-Prince and Haiti, and a city destroyed and then... This, these machines arrive, and now everybody has clean water. It's, it's such a, it's it's also a, a big publicity stunt on some level. But I just love the notion of that. And and I and I, and these are things that, that I guess they're pie in the sky, and and I'm, I'm a bit naive, but uh, well, I, it just seems no. like such a good thing to me. <laughs> well, you know, and it's like I think you know one of the things that uh, came up in the movie too is that Dean Kamen routinely, the way his brain is wired, he's routinely asking, to, you know, what, what do I need to do? What, what, is gonna, what is it going to take, you know, to make this happen, to, to fulfill this need, to solve this problem, to, to fill this hole that I see, you know, you know in, in the universe, if you will. You know, early yeah. in your film, and I, I saw this film again two years ago when you first rolled it out, so I'm going strictly off of a two-year-old memory. But I remember one of the first things, his brother, older brother, um, was a doctor. And at the time, and I think this was like 25, 30 years ago, his brother was a physician. And when dealing with premature babies, one of the number one problems they had was that they didn't have a way to intravenously give babies a fraction of a drop of medicine. And right. so if they gave them a drop, you know, a cc or two, of course the babies would overdose and die from that, not necessarily from not being able to breathe or what have you. So right. when his brother aired that issue to Dean, Dean immediately went to work. It's like, how how am I going to be able to, to create a solution for this? And he actually, I think one of his first inventions was, you know, a syringe and an IV for premature babies that would do fractions yeah, it literally became a technology called auto syringe, and mm-hmm. what Dean came up with, which is seems so obvious, uh, but of course it's obvious since hindsight. What he what he yeah. what he said was, well, why remove the medicine from the the syringe? Because the syringe is the way you administer the minute amounts. Well, why don't I just take mm-hmm. the syringe and and then create a device that controls the syringe? So he created auto syringe. Now. What's amazing, what's even beyond what we're saying, is that that same technology is what is the patent in people's diabetes pumps that they're wearing on their bodies. Because that same notion of how do I administer absolutely 100% correctly the right amount of insulin to people, 
using the auto syringe technology. And so wow. that one patent or that one idea probably is being carried by more you know more people than we can even imagine. Yeah, yeah, because I think Dean has over like 400 patents. Yeah, uh, and he you know, does. All he, he people does. don't realize, yeah, that he's 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 like beyond over the top. You know, one of the inventor. You know, probably invented. This is the those. this is the Thomas Edison yeah. of our lifetime. I mean, there's no, yeah. no question. I mean, he is. Um, uh, there's no question. And and uh, when I I took him through the in the film, I t- I just had him discuss how he would solved uh, kidney dialysis. And he, you know, he took a look at the existing technology and went, this doesn't do anything it's supposed to do. It doesn't make the person comfortable. It doesn't effectively clean their kidneys. Um, it's capable of breaking. Uh, I'm going to redo the whole thing. <laughs> so instead of fixing the wow. old, he just invented new. And uh, you know, he likes to joke that he brought the old machine into the boardroom of Baxter Travenal, who he was making it for, and took his out, out from theirs because his was so much smaller. And then, you know, when you see his version, which is called Home Choice, people can sleep while they're being filtrated. They can hook themselves up. They don't need a nurse. It's completely sanitary. It's completely disposable, so there's no issues of uh, sanit- you know, There's no issues of cleaning it. There's no moving parts. It works through osmosis, through the body's own pressure. Um, you know, it's, it's just it's mind-boggling, the, the disruptive leap from the old technology to the new. Well, this is what this man is capable of. That's and the way, yeah. We just need to support it. Yeah, we need to support it. So, so uh, again, like just like Dean would do, he asks effective questions. How can our listeners today, what is it that they can do, you know, in addition to getting in contact with you? Is there well, anything I, I, you know, that you would First and foremost, I, I encourage people to see the movie so that they're sensitized mm-hmm. to the issues, you know, and they're aware of the issues. Secondly, I think we have to put a lot of pressure on uh, places like Coca-Cola or places like the Clinton Global Initiative to fulfill their commitments to get to distributing the machine. You know, and this is just on a slingshot level. On a pure water level, we all need to be aware of the issues. We all need to conserve, and we need to support the legislature that's going to change how the world views water. I mean, it, it's really voting. Like, you have to vote for the, you know, people used to laugh at the concept of toilet to tap, or I should, yeah, toilet to tap. People would laugh at her, be disgusted. Oh, there's, I mean, there's no way I'll never drink uh, the water that was in my toilet. Well, well guess what? <laughs> there are whole cities like Singapore, they're already doing it. And they're wow. recycling their water because they're in big, dense urban environments. They're not wasting a drop. Well, guess what, folks? We're going to be doing the same thing. We just have to build it. Yeah, and and Dean's technology, if I remember correctly from the film, it takes not just, you know, disease-infested water, but even radioactive chemicals are taken out of the water. Everything. Uh, all sorts of, it was like, I remember when I watched it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this doesn't just take out dirt and certain sediment and, you know, certain bacteria and viruses. This takes out everything. It doesn't matter how hideous and sludgy, oil-infected uh, water. It makes it pristine, potable drinking water. Right. Yeah. I mean, Which there's is, there's all sorts. I mean, that's a whole other topic. But you know, we mm-hmm. we have so many people taking birth control, um, and then peeing the residual uh, trace elements back into our water supply. Well, a hundred years ago, when we designed our water systems. We never imagined trace elements like this. So we have no. we have water in a, in a country that you know one of the leading developed countries in the world, America. Um, we have water that's not so great for us that we're drinking. You know wh- why are our young yeah. girls seeing puberty so early? Why you know uh, I can tell you it's the water. Yeah. We, there's all sorts of Serving. issues here. Yeah. There's yeah. all sorts of issues here. They're 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 beyond beyond, but but I'm confident that the world's going to be exposed very quickly to these issues because once cost is actually reflected in what we're really doing with water and people start to understand, like, why is my water bill so high? Oh, I'm actually paying for water now. 
I didn't used to. I used to. I used to take water for granted. Now I'm paying for it. It's no longer for granted. Once that happens, people will be extremely start to conserve. Um, they'll be annoyed by things like potable water in their toilets and potable water being used on golf courses. Like, why would you use some a precious resource to simply convey waste? Yeah. You know, we'll start to question all of those things. And put pressure on those businesses that you support that you see that are not uh, not doing something about that behavior. And so we're almost here at the top of the hour. So I think uh, I would encourage our listeners to get on Netflix, watch the documentary Slingshot.com, or Slingshot, just the documentary is Slingshot. And to get in touch with you is SlingshotDoc.com, the best place yeah, to Yeah, that's you. the website and... and um we also, you know, since everybody's on Facebook these days, we also maintain a uh, Facebook page, which is also Slingshot Doc, as in documentary. Um, again, that in some ways that's the best place to go. Slingshot Doc on Facebook uh, become one of our we we put articles up and uh, there's a website SlingshotDoc.com. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, the first thing is watch the movie on Netflix. I mean, a lot of people have Netflix, so. You can get it technically for the same money you're paying for your subscription, uh, in, in essence, for free. So uh, watch it there, and then you'll uh, you'll get a whole, hopefully, exposure to all of this. Fantastic, Paul. Uh, I'm so excited to see how everything is unfolding with Slingshot, and uh, just thank you for sharing with us your secrets to your success and Dean's uh, success too. And uh, anything that we can do to help you move this forward, please let us know here at the Bottom Line Show Live and Luxium Media Studios. We're here behind you, uh, championing you, ch- not just championing you, but also uh, spreading the word and letting people know about uh, this very much needed uh, documentary to raise awareness and, and you know, have people take action. Thank you. I really appreciate that. All righty. Thank you, and peace and love always. Thank you. Bye-bye.